she actually believed in my potential much more than i believed in myself and you know when you see that in the eyes of the person um you know and someone that you enormously respect and you want to emulate it really does kind of you know bring out the very best in you and you sometimes you know sort of surprise yourself Hi, I'm Jessica and I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators by international educators and about international educators. And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Welcome back to Destiny Benders. Today, we're speaking with Lakshmi Iyer, who is a senior consultant in international education. Lakshmi? Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jess and Girish. And uh, it's been great to kind of get invited to the podcast because I've been closely following this new venture of uh, you both. And you've had some very interesting guests. So I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lakshmi. Good to see you again as well. You know, every time we speak with somebody, especially somebody we know, we're always like, you know, we've known each other for so long, but we don't really know you. So mm-hmm. we don't really know you. I know the work that you've done, and I know you're on a little bit of a break right now on a sabbatical, if you may. Uh, but please walk us through your journey. How did you end up in international education? What all have you done? This is a very interesting um, question that you have uh, posed, Girish, because most of us somehow, you know, kind of end up in uh, international higher ed. And then we just forget how we got there. We end up meeting a lot of people. We have all these conversations, coffees, chats, but we never know, right, how we got there. So in my case, I did my first degree uh, in psychology. And then I went on to like every, uh, you know, middle class Indian student uh, immediately decided to do a master's. Uh, sat for a lot of entrance examinations, cleared one and got into a master's in business administration and then got hired from the campus uh, to go and work for a publishing house, the Indian Express newspapers uh, in Bombay. I worked for a couple of years uh, with them, but in between. Um, so after, after my stint uh, as a management trainee in their Chennai office, I got called back to their head office uh, in Bombay. And when I moved from Chennai to Bombay, like every south indian who goes to western india for the first time i fell ill with jaundice within the first month and i was just you know i was really sick and i had to be um, sent home to recuperate 10 months into my job i was uh, i was back home recuperating on a long sick leave and i started kind of you know i was itching to get back into academics um i really wanted to go back to studying I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. So, uh, but I was also very clear that I didn't want to kind of pursue my higher education in India. And I started looking at all these uh, destinations and zeroed in on the UK uh, because the master's was just one year. 
And I went off to the British Council to research institutions. At that time, British Council used to do all the counseling. So the agencies were not very active. We are talking about 1998, 99, you know, that time. So uh, I started researching institutions and started applying for uh, a master's in international marketing or an MBA, those kinds of uh, programs, and then uh, looked at a variety of scholarships and the British Council encouraged me to apply for the Commonwealth Award and, you know, DFID and, you know, so on and so forth. And I was quite fortunate and I, I got the DFID scholarship and I went off to the University of Strathclyde to do my master's in international marketing. And whilst at the university, so I had completely bypassed the agency world. I had no idea that agents existed. I spent at that time, you know, in 1999, about 20,000 rupees on courier, sending my applications to, you know, various universities, because I had no idea, right? You know, agents exist and they do everything for you, etc. I land up in my class of, we were 42, I think, um, and, you know, various different nationalities, a few of us Indians, and many of them had, you know, come through agents. And that was when I realized that, you know, there is this paradigm called agency that exists, etc., and uh, so I finished my uh, master's and whilst doing my master's, obviously, you know, being a scholarship student, I was on a, on a, on a budget. And uh, so in uh, part-time jobs were, you know, uh, a big thing. And I got hired by the Department of Marketing to do promotion for a remote uh, master's program that they were running in um, Southeast Asia. So my job was to speak to applicants talk to them about the university. So I was basically a student ambassador promoting the university. And and I I really liked uh, that gig. And um, so I've completed my master's. I came back to India two days before 9-11 and sat without a job for over a year. The world had gone into a recession. And I just also did not know how to get back into the workforce. Uh, Because, you know, when I look back, I feel that, you know, all of my survival instincts had sort of blunted uh, living uh, in the UK, uh, being in an environment where, you know, uh, I felt, you know, sort of I was provided for, I had all the resources that, uh, you know, I didn't have to hustle to access resources, I could go to the library, take a printout, you know, I didn't have, you know, so so many things that you would do when you are in a very competitive uh, field, you know, I had just stopped kind of doing those things. And when I came back, I just didn't know how to sell myself to uh, organizations. I had completely bypassed the so-called campus recruitment cycle in India. And many of these uh, organizations that I approached, they couldn't pronounce the name of the university that I had gone to. They would be like, Strat what? You know, so I had all of these fundamental challenges of, you know, trying to fit back into the uh, environment. So one year just went like that, me applying for various kinds of jobs. And then suddenly I see this little ad in Times of India, their job uh, market pullout ascent saying that, you know, an agency is wanting to open their office uh, in Bombay and it is their inaugural kind of in office in North and West India. And they were looking for counselors. And it also said that, you know, uh, there will be preference for candidates who had won some kind of UK government award to go and study in the UK. So I sort of ticked all those boxes for a counselor. So I applied for the post of a counselor and I went for the interview and uh, met the office manager that they had hired. And also at that time, I didn't know who the, you know, this individual was the owner, but, you know, someone called Luke Jeffers 
who was in the interview panel and I interviewed for the role of a counselor, you know, just landed finally a job after, you know, 12 months of joblessness. And um, because, you know, I knew the UK higher education uh, uh, space because I had been a student and I had won a scholarship, et cetera, et cetera. And I took charge as the assistant uh, manager for counseling operations in the Bombay office of uh, study overseas. And there started my journey. And I, I was so grateful that, you know, I got, a, you know, somebody gave me a job after 12 months of joblessness. And I really suddenly found I loved counseling students. And, you know, I just stuck around for nine years in, in, uh, at um, study overseas, uh, went on to head up their operations in North and West India and moved eventually from Bombay to uh, Delhi. So that was the start of my uh, international higher education journey. It's a long-winded answer to a very short question. Yeah, that's where it no, all not, began. Not at all. Not at all. That is, that is something. Uh, I didn't know uh, that you had gone through. Obviously, that's why we do the podcast to learn people's story. So the first thing that came to mind is like those 12 months that you're trying to get a job and not, not being successful, mm-hmm. what was going through your mind? How did you keep yourself engaged and motivated and optimistic? If I were to tell you that, you know, I was super optimistic every single day, I would be like lying. Every single day, I would kind of, you know, cry myself to sleep, you know, kind of literally um, giving a hard time to my poor husband saying, you know, like, how, why am I not able to find a job? Why doesn't anyone want to give me a job? What is it that I'm not doing right? I went and met a whole bunch of consultants, job consultants who um, who would kind of, you know, look at my CV and they would be like, oh, you know, uh, they do placement season and you have missed that. Uh, we would try and send you for a few interviews, et cetera, et cetera. What I used to do was every single day scan the papers, try and send my uh, CV copies across to um, uh, people. And, you know, these were very early days for, you know, the internet was just kind of, you know, um, uh, making, taking over the lives of people. So you still had to kind of, you know, turn up uh, into these consultants' offices and, you know, give them copies of your CVs. You know, there were days when, you know, for example, I went till the last level of a very large conglomerate for a, you know, a pretty senior position. And then, you know, at the last level, you know, kind of I lost out because they were very keen to take people from uh, well-known Indian schools because they just didn't know what Strathclyde was or, you know, is. So it was was a very difficult uh, phase, primarily because one, I was struggling with having to kind of, you know, depend on my husband to kind of keep me going because I had no income whatsoever. And two, I just could not understand why an Indian employer would not have a person who uh, has a distinction from a a leading British university. Um, And, you know, interestingly enough, as I progressed in my uh, career, once I got that break um, at study overseas, that cause became quite close to my heart because I saw the pattern getting repeated year after year. And I don't think we have managed to break that for any of the returning uh, graduates. They still find it as hard. We have all these notions when we come back that, you know, like Indian employers would love to have us and whatever. But then Indian employers are so used to 
uh, especially the large companies that everyone wants to go and work for, they're so used to work, uh, you know, going to their favorite watering holes, as I call them, you know, in terms of uh, leading schools here in India from where they pick up their um, management trainings and, you know, uh, fresh graduates that they hire. For me, you know, keeping myself motivated was uh, uh, very hard. But, you know, I have to say, I have to thank my husband because in every day, his job when he would come back from work would be like, you know, I would be sat there saying, you know, nothing has happened today. You know, like I haven't got a job. And in fact, I remember he came with me to kind of, you know, give me a sort of like, you know, this, the, this courage to kind of go and do this interview really well. Because in a study overseas interview for me, because I had everything that they asked for in the job ad, I sort of, you know, qualified uh, those uh, criteria prior to even kind of turning up at that interview. But I was telling Sandeep at that time, you have to come with me because, you know, I don't know if I, if I don't make it, then what is going to happen to me? I'll just sit there, you know, like this job seems like, you know, this is the job description made for me. But if I don't make it, then that's it. So he came with me and the interview was at Ramada. And, um, and I, I think I was quite, you know, over candid in my interview because, you know, I had a question asked of me by um, Luke saying, you know, you seem to be someone, you know, who does a lot of straight talking. And, you know, there will be a lot of students who would come and ask you the same question over and over again. And how are you going to be, how how will you kind of deal with it? Because you have just told me that, you know, you really uh, don't take kindly to people who just kind of waste your time. So I, I told him, I said, you know, Luke, if you you tell me that you know this is a requirement of you know this role that you know i have to always be patient with everything and anything that comes across my you know kind of table and anyone who comes and asks me the same question over and over if it is a job requirement i'll make sure that you know, i don't lose my calm and my patience and i come back upstairs because the interview was in the basement and sandeep was sat there he's looking at me and i just told i think i blew it uh, because, you know, I told him that, you know, I can't kind of suffer fools. And this is going to be really, really, you know, I think I'm not going to get this job. This is it. I, I don't think I'll ever find a job in my life. So, yeah, but, you know, I think Luke took a chance on me and he gave me the job. Yeah. And, and the rest something. is history, as they say. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, Study Overseas, one of the biggest agencies in India. At that time, um, yes. at that time, and and I guess still today, I, I'm no, not sure. I no, no. So, yeah, so the the company then kind of you know uh, was bought by Navitas, and then oh, okay, so it's morphed, changed hands, and so on and so forth. So that was another kind of you know journey, but mm -hmm. uh, you know it built. I think you know it, uh, the organization built uh, an army of really good counseling uh, staff because. Um, the uh, Luke was very passionate and he mm -hmm. continues to be very passionate about counseling. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very important for him that, you know, we all gave, you know, unbiased, good advice to students and uh, made sure that, you know, the students' interests are protected come what mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah. And thinking about, I mean, I was just really struck by how you said then and even to this day, the returning students. So you're encouraging students to go, to the UK or the US, um, students from India to study and then come back and they're struggling to get their degrees recognized. They're struggling to have employers 
fully understand, you know, exactly what they can do and how good the institution was that they had attended and graduated from, which I can understand, to be quite honest, because there are thousands of universities around the world. How can an employer know all of Mm -hmm. them? This continues to be an issue. What do you, what were some of the, I don't know, solutions or how did you tackle those issues with your students if they were asking you those kinds of questions? And is there, in your mind, is there a way to to kind of get around this or to improve the situation for those students who are returning? One of the things that study overseas tried to do at that time, and then, you know, even at Sanam S4, um, there was an initiative to look at um, helping the returning graduates sort of plug back into the job market by building out a service focused on connecting them to um, potential employers and also educating the employers here in India about the institutions, uh, the kind of graduates, the you know the education system, and you know so on and so forth. There isn't a, a quick fix um, or an easy solution to this, but I do think that. You know, um, in the coming days, we might see technology-enabled solutions coming to this because at the time when, you know, uh, study overseas or SNMS for, you know, the companies looked at the problem, uh, the solution was quite manual in the sense that, you know, you uh, had to employ people who probably had their networks uh, having been uh, recruiters uh, elsewhere, you know, them using their networks to spread the word identify positions where they were willing to interview very small cohorts of students. And one of the key challenges that on the India side, uh, any organization that tries to kind of solve this problem faces and, you know, and also faced and still faces is data protection. So you turn around and you go to, let's say, a, a British university and you say, I've got this particular job. They want 15 or 20 uh, CVs of Indian candidates. The career service is not geared up to really kind of focus on one nationality. The career service team will turn around and say, we are a career service for a university. Our university has got X number of nationalities. We can't be seen to be favoring one nationality over the other. We will just put out generally the information. If any student or, uh, you know, applies for this, you can, uh, you know, have their information. We are not going to pass on any information to you. They, the university knows that there is a problem to fix because especially for the UK, it was a big problem when the post-study work uh, sort of stopped and so on. They had to really do something to make themselves attractive to the Indian cohort. But then, you know, the career service is like, you know, we can't do this and we can't pass on any information to you because you are a third party and the students once you know, the student has to give the, you know, so you you just can't kind of do much other than obviously there are now technology companies uh, that have come up that are trying to kind of build uh, the funnel of, you know, Indian students who are overseas and then, you know, are trying to plug them in, into the job market. And there are also a lot of uh, internship companies that have come up that are trying to kind of, you know, make the students more employable. I think that is the other big challenge because, as a, you land up at a university and you just forget the fact that you have to constantly keep yourself upskilled um, and also relevant to the, uh, you know, whichever industry that you are looking to get into by putting yourself out there for either paid or unpaid uh, internships, because 
all of those things will add value to your uh, your cv and indian students particularly need to be reminded um, of that i think yeah definitely a, a continuing challenge that we need to keep addressing right i want to go back to you right so now we kind of know how you got into international education mm-hmm. but you know you said you went to college to be a psychologist yeah. like going back further beyond that like when you're in high school or as you're growing up is that what you wanted to do or was there a career um mm. very as, very you know, Oh, right. So question. yeah, I, I know South Indians. Come on now, because <laughs> I know that's not the right question. answer. Yeah. So part of that question, and then to that, add to that is who are the people along the way? Whether you're in high school that influenced you, or then later on, then I'm I'm assuming people within your early years of your career kind of you know bent your destiny. So talk to us about that. When I was uh, in high school. um i really wanted to go into the indian administrative service so being a civil servant was like you know uh, was a big thing for me i wanted to kind of actually um do a medical degree and then go into the uh, civil services and after i did my um uh, plus 2 i um, did not clear any of the uh, entrance examinations so then uh, i was like okay i have to do a, a degree and a degree that will be quite useful for my civil services preparation the choices in front of me were you know literature uh, so ba honors english literature or uh, do psychology because psychology is considered to be you know an easier subject in the you know civil services examination preparation and my mom is a psychologist it's sort of you know for me it was like okay this is this could kind of uh, get me closer to my goal of being a civil servant so i decided to pursue my undergraduation in uh, in psychology in 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 the second year of my degree i just uh, decided that you know uh, i wasn't kind of cut out to be a civil servant uh, because you know i, I, I think you know at that time lots of reading a lot of newspapers looking at how bureaucrats have to really work with politicians and you know so on and so forth i just decided that that wasn't my cup of tea so i sort of kind of you know changed uh, direction and moved into uh, a business uh, degree for my masters that became the uh, next goal you know so that is how i ended up from you know kind of going into a humanities degree and you know i have absolutely no regrets um primarily because i think uh, a humanities background just gives you a, a a more well-rounded perspective of the of the world uh you know you can kind of if you, you know you sort of read quite widely and uh you know you look at various subject areas and so on so you know it's kind of really given me a solid kind of foundation in terms of you know my interests and and also you know kind of you come across people from various walks of life you know who sort of end up doing humanities and in india you know this girish better than any one of us that you know people think that oh you know the, the a student who goes into humanities is not you know especially at the time when i did my uh, humanities degree oh or she he or she is not that bright so they have ended up doing a humanities it's changing that narrative is obviously changing with the arrival of liberal arts education here in india in terms of people who really influenced me in terms of you know the the kind of choices that i've made uh, whether it's in terms of you know the subject areas whether it's in term in terms of my career choices and so on 
I would say that at the at the school level, when I was very determined to become uh, a doctor, it was uh, my biology teacher who no longer uh, is alive. She passed away a few years ago. She actually believed in my potential much more than I believed in myself. And you know, when you see that in the eyes of the person, um, you know, and someone that you enormously respect and you want to emulate. It really does kind of, you know, bring out the very best in you. And you sometimes, you know, sort of surprise yourself by how much you can accomplish. And she was uh, one of those, um, so far as I'm concerned. And I think um, the second person, it will sound quite cliched, is uh, my mom. She uh, is a psychologist and she went into teaching and, you know, teaching as a profession sort of appealed to me by, you know, by watching everything that my mother managed to kind of, you know, get done. And I still, you know, I sort of consider myself like this closet academic. I, I love teaching. I love, you know, and I think that is why I love counseling, because you are kind of touching the lives of, you know, uh, young students uh, and sort of helping them make a very informed decision about, you know, where they want to take their career um, choices. In terms of a, a career trajectory, I do think that, you know, uh, Luke uh, at Study Overseas, Luke Jeffers, he really influenced, you know, how I approach counseling because, you know, ethics matter in, in, in this field. And he was quite, he was very clear about how you counsel students, irrespective of if the student comes to you with an offer to go to an institution that you know, the company doesn't represent. And if that is the right choice for the student, you must make sure that the student ends up kind of, you know, going there. Uh, so those are all kind of, you know, very important lessons for uh, as you kind of uh, take the baby steps into a career. And I, I must say that, you know, I've had some really good mentors at study overseas who really made sure that, uh, you know, that the foundation is built and laid in a very good way. I think, yeah, Luke quite, uh, you know, he influenced a fair bit. All of the work that I then kind of, you know, went on to do at um, Sanam S4 and so on was largely bedded on the work that I did at uh, Study Overseas. You know, the knowledge that I gathered by counseling students, working with a range of institutions who all then ended up in some ways, you know, kind of coming and working uh, with me at uh, Sanam S4. Yeah, so those three people. And I think we always like to follow that question up with whose lives did you touch or whose destinies did you change? But of course, as a counselor, as you quite rightly pointed out, as a counselor, you touched probably thousands of students' lives and bent the destinies of almost all of those students that you spoke to, counseling them about their future, their higher education. And I'm assuming you drew on your own experience at Strathclyde, um, you know, talking about going to the UK, making that decision, thinking of yourself as a student and you're flying to the UK, you're, you're stepping off that plane. How different was it? What were your impressions? Strathclyde, you know, India to Strathclyde, totally different. I mean, what, what was that like for you? I can only imagine had it been the first time you'd ever gone to the UK. And so were you just overwhelmed and how did you use that in your counsel? Yeah, so uh, that's a very, very, very good question, um, Jess. As an adult, that was the first time I was leaving the country and going somewhere. So I had, uh, prior to arriving at Strathclyde, the trip that I had done was to the US at the age of probably, what, uh, 10 or 11 to um, 
you know, see uh, my father in, in New York. The interesting thing is that my decision to go to Strathclyde was largely driven by my meeting the admissions manager for MSc International Marketing, Mrs. Christine Donald, who came to uh, Bombay and counseled uh, at the British Council uh, Bombay. And I had gone to meet her and you know, she took a real interest uh, in me as a person and, you know, kind of gave me a lot of guidance around, you know, how I structure my application and, you know, what, what are the things that I, uh, you know, really detail out in my application so that, you know, my application stands out. And she was the first one who told me that, you know, you stand a very good chance of getting a scholarship if you, you know, because you have the academic profile, you do these things, um, you know, you take your IELTS, you do this, etc, etc. And, you know, uh, and then I kept in touch with her. And she made sure that um, she then put me in touch with a PhD uh, scholar from India. And he actually came to the airport to pick me up. When I, you know, because I had uh, built a very good rapport with him. And he currently uh, is a professor at SEEDS. So, you know, he he came to collect me and drop me at the accommodation. I have to say my first month uh, at Glasgow was hell because I didn't know how to read a map. I would go to the international office and, you know, like they will say class uh, in Anderson building somewhere, you know, second floor. And, and when I look at them and I'm like, okay, how do I get to this? Here's a map. And then I'm stood there trying to navigate, you know, walking in all different directions and landing up late for my class. I was in a, uh, in an accommodation within, uh, you know, in the, in the kind of the perimeters of the, uh, of the campus where I had a Canadian, another Indian, a Brit, a Spaniard as my, um, you know, flatmates. In the first month, the Canadian was very much into football. She would go off, you know, to play uh, women's football. Spaniard was you know, very much into partying. And she knew everyone, they had all arrived well in advance uh, of myself. So they had made good friends already. And there I was. I just didn't know how to kind of, you know, fit into this, this group. I had a hard time with the accent. I couldn't understand anything. In the first month, first assignment, I got a C. And which was like, oh my God, I am going to fail this course <laughs> because I don't know how to kind of, you know, answer these questions in, in the ways that a prof in uh, Strathclyde would expect me to answer. So it was real, I was really miserable. Cold, not knowing how to read a map, uh, not knowing how to make friends and being the oldest in the, in the flat. You know, it was just hell. In the, the first month, I was cursing myself saying, you know, why did I do this? Why did I leave my job at Indian Express? Why did I come here? You know, uh, it's just going to be hard. But, you know, after the first month, it's sort of kind of, you know, you figure your way out. And, you know, we are resilient. Human beings are resilient. Most of us are. And uh, you just get over that and start making friends. And, and then, you know, life sort of comes together. I had a hard time in the winter though, because, you know, there's no sunlight, right? You don't see the sun for weeks on end and you don't know whether, you know, you're waking up in the middle of the night or morning or whatever. So I had a bit of a tough time um, and Christmas was tough because I was the only one in the flat. Everybody went home and I just couldn't afford to go home. So I stayed back and the entire campus had more or less emptied out. A few of us international students were there, but I had, you know, 
um, Scottish classmates who made sure that, you know, I had company in, in the flat and, you know, they invited me home. So, you know, like I was looked after. And I think that way, um, Scottish people are really warm. And I really enjoyed my time uh, at Strathclyde as a student. And I, and I always used to tell students whom I would counsel that, you know, first month is going to be hard, but you will get over it. You know, no one prepares you for what you are going to go into. Uh, it's unfamiliar. Everything is unfamiliar, but, you know, you will you'll figure your way out. And so just don't give up. Just keep your faith and just make sure that you make the effort to make friends and then things will follow. No better advice than that, right? I mean, that's a typical journey for a lot of international students. And international students are, I think, especially more resilient. So some of the things you're sharing, I'm reminiscing from 30 years ago from my journey. So uh, I, I see what you're saying. But what an incredible journey you've had, Lakshmi, and, and you've done so much. You've accomplished so much. Good luck with everything else that you're going to do next. As we wrap up here, uh, we do a quick fire round of questions to kind of get, get you know a little bit on the lighter side. And I'll start. You mentioned earlier that you read uh, a lot and you probably still continue to read. What's your favorite book and why? Wow. So I don't know if you can see, like, you know, I'm surrounded by books here. Actually, my favorite book is not in English, if I may say so. So I read all of the English classics in Malayalam first. My, you know, because I grew up in Kerala, my parents say that I started speaking in Malayalam much more than in, in Tamil, which is my mother tongue. So there is this book called, uh, you know, which is based on a lot of legends. Um, related to Kerala, and it's called Aidi Himala, and that is one of my favorite books. I would also say that you know Khalid Husseini is a big favorite of mine. A Thousand Splendid Sons is another favorite book of mine. Yeah. My quick fire question is: We briefly touched on the fact that you're on a sabbatical at the moment, and you're taking time out for yourself to do some things, and you said to travel. What's next for you? How long do you think you'll be doing this? And where do you see yourself, you know, doing a bit more traveling? Or what would you like to do next? I sort of gave myself, you know, uh, 10 weeks to recover from, you know, kind of 10 years of nonstop uh, working in my you know, previous role. I would resurface in the international uh, higher education space because I don't know anything else. This is all I have done for 20 years. And, you know, um, the interesting thing is that of these 10 weeks, four weeks I've spent being on the road, to, you know, visiting places that I have always wanted to within India that I have never managed to get to. And some of it has been quite life changing, to be honest. So I just got back from Spiti Valley, uh, which is between India and Tibet. You know, the, the landscape is stunning. People make do with very little. It's not vacation per se, because it is hard going because most of it is off-roading. And there is a lot to see and do within, within India. That has been my biggest realization. The thing is that, you know, um, hopefully I'll go back into counseling because that is, that's always been my first, uh, first love. In the coming weeks, I, I do intend to resurface. But this has been great just to take some time out, uh, deliberately kind of, you know, stepping off the treadmill for a little bit. And I, I can totally get that because I think we all need to do that at some point. So totally understand. Um, you mentioned a lot of places in India that you'd love to visit that you hadn't had a chance to. What is still a place in India that you would like to visit that you haven't? 
Arunachal Pradesh. I've done uh, Sikkim, okay. um, but you know the, many of the and I, and also Assam, but I haven't done Nagaland, Meghalaya, Arunachal Pradesh. Tripura, yeah, yeah, all of that. But you know, um, I, I would really like to do Arunachal Pradesh first because I've you know I've heard so much about it and you yeah. Know, but oh Lakshmi this has been brilliant thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today uh, you know like I said I know Jess has known you I've known you for years we always meet at conferences it's always a high bye uh, you never come to see me when you come to St. Paul but I won't hold it against you um, but <laughs> oh this, this has been <laughs> this has been great to spend time with you and get to know you a little bit better um, thank you we wish you the best yeah. yeah thank you and thank yeah. you for uh, having me in your podcast that I very keenly follow and listen to and you know i wish you both the very best you've been listening to destiny benders join us next week when we speak with lisa besso founding partner of global ed professionals